we're going to take a look at the charts and graphs and that sort of tell a story about Holy Communion, about um, where we are uh, for 2018. So, um, first off, your stewardship committee met last month and we talked through the annual campaign as we generally do. We talked about uh, what we're hoping to do across the year, not just in the annual campaign, but through the capital campaign and through a number of different opportunities to encourage stewardship and generosity at Holy Communion. And there were so many potential themes that we all resonated with that we decided to keep the same overarching theme, all things come of thee, O Lord, and of thine own have we given thee. That response that we say at 8 o'clock and 10.30, uh, when the gifts are brought up, that little bit from Chronicles that remind us that we, all we have comes from God and thus goes back to God. But we decided to have four <coughs> components to that theme. To talk about fearless generosity, commitment to community, growth and abundance, and capital versus annual giving. The first three um, are pretty obvious. They, they talk about both why we give, and what's going on at our church right now. The fourth one also talks about what's going on at our church right now. We want to be really honest and upfront that there are sort of two dances around generosity that we're inviting you to consider right now. One is the annual campaign, and one is the capital campaign. And we'll say a little bit more about that toward the end. But we're going to talk first this morning about the annual campaign. And when we do that, uh, with the encouragement of Brian, your vestry's treasurer, we like to give you facts and figures and show you what's going on right now. Uh, we do the annual campaign in fall. We ask for folks to turn in their pledges in fall because it helps the vestry to plan the budget for next year. My old boss in Washington, used to, in Washington, D.C. always used to say when it was pledge card season, please turn in your pledge card. Uh, because the vestry is trying to make a sober and responsible budget. A sober and responsible budget. And we are trying to do that, and it really helps to know um, what kind of giving to plan on. So, to talk about a sober and responsible budget. These are the budgeted expenses for 2018. Um, you can see that we have just over $600,000, $629,000 worth of expenses. Um, Brian, do you want to say a word about how that split and the health of what split and what grows and what doesn't? Sure. As you can tell, the, uh, the big chunks of the pie, the big pieces of the pie on the right-hand side there, are all people expenses, but paying our wonderful clergy and staff that did a good work that they're doing. And uh, certainly the portion of that is compensation, direct uh, paycheck and things like that. The one that's kind of more troubling that we don't have much control over is the Doing uh, small renovations when we need to, and also just still paying. 
paying off the loan on the renovation on this half of the building. Um, we have uh, a portion of our uh, our budget is spent just on debt repayment. And then um, the remainder of it is smaller pieces, administrative, but also through our outreach engagements, both through our direct uh, spending on things like laundry love and other activities like that, but also through our diocesan pledge, where we give a portion of our budget to the diocese, and they're able to redistribute it. Some of it comes back to us from time to time, other of it goes out to other dioceses or other initiatives across the state of Missouri. So uh, our outreach is about a quarter, depending on how you look at it. Any questions on the expense side of the budget? Wow, no questions. Okay, if there are more, you can always ask them. Um, budgeted revenue. Go ahead. Go ahead, Lori. Um, we do have a line in the budget to maintain the organ. We've actually been under budget spending that the last couple of years because the state of the organ is such that it does not make sense to put much money into repairing it. We did have the organ tech out this week uh, to fix a pedal that was falling down um, because it makes sense to fix the console. But we're losing what's, uh, there's leather components to what opened and closed the pipes, and those are deteriorating really fast. As uh, the boxes that the pipes sit in themselves are in a state that they cannot be repaired without a major intervention. And so what was sort of a bigger budget item year to year in terms of maintenance has to now be a capital item in terms of a long-term fix. So we're doing what we can um, a couple years ago, with the money from the previous capital campaign, the Vestry voted to fix the shutters on the organ that, that open and close, so that it creates the damping effect, because it was viewed that that could be an investment in the next life of the organ. But working on the pipes themselves, at this point, the little bits of money we can afford to do it in the annual budget doesn't go far enough to do what we need to do. Yeah. Well, and, and your vestry is talking more about capital today. We'll say more about that in a minute. Any other questions about ex the expense side of the budget? Going once, going twice. Income. Um, I put up 2017 and 2018 to make an important distinction, and it, it's conflating them. It, it's it's closer together than it was on my screen. But um, the main thing to see in 2017. Um, 53% of our income as a congregation was coming from our endowments, from the gifts of members back in history. Uh, we're, we're blessed as a congregation to have endowments that help us do things like pay the rector's salary and buy toilet paper. Um, it means that every dollar that is donated here goes farther. But for a very long time, uh, in the words of Gene Parker, the living were not giving as much as the dead. Um, we had a, a, a smaller congregation and the giving potential was such that the endowment was the biggest part of our income. 2018 marked a shift. Endowment income for the first time was less than half of what um, of, of our budgeted income. And, and note, that's not because the endowment income went down. The stock market has actually been performing very well. Uh, the endowments are drawn on at pretty fixed and very responsible rates. 
Uh, and so the fact that they've been growing in the stock means that the, um, those endowments are able to contribute more to the budget. The real story is um, in two other parts that have increased. Uh, Brian, would you talk about uh, the two parts that have increased? Sure. Um, our pledging and, and uh, general stewardship contributions have certainly grown. It's part of both our growing size of the congregation, more people coming and more people contributing, and also individuals contributing <laughs> more each year. And so that's been growing steadily as, uh, as our numbers swell. So that's always positive. The other piece that's uh, no longer a trivial piece of the pie is the, the use of the building. We've used um, part of our unoccupied space in the, the underground, downstairs in the offices, and also the Gannon House that we've never been doing anything with, to partner with other nonprofits to use our space in this beautiful facility. And then they pay us, I'll say, a discounted rent that they couldn't have gotten in the office building someplace else to just run their operations or to house their people. And so through this partnership of us helping them have a fantastic place to house themselves and then paying us a, a rent, we're able to put more money back into our building and keep some operations here. So those, that uh, purple sector at the bottom is also growing quite a bit. I'd like to continue expanding that, but we're actually making pretty good use of our current space. It might be constrained uh, if we want to expand that location unless we get to the capital campaign to grow that So. One of the things that we've been tracking for the last several years, one of the constant goals of the Stewardship Committee is to reach 100% pledging. Whether someone pledges a dollar or $15,000 per year, it, we really would like to have every member of the church pledge. Up here you'll see from 2017 to 2018, we did see a 7% increase in the participation in pledging. Uh, that is partly due to the good work of your stewardship um, folks in your vestry. Uh, as you all know, we make a round of phone calls after the in-gathering Sunday, uh, either to thank folks for turning in their pledge card or to ask them if they haven't yet turned in the pledge card to please turn in a pledge card. Uh, those efforts have gone a long way and we're starting to make, as I like to say, the Pac-Man is closing his mouth. Um, it looks this year much more like a Pac-Man than last year, right? Uh, that orange slice of the pie, the give but don't pledge, I actually think that's a really healthy slice of the pie. Uh, the last two years it's been 10%. The majority of the folks who are in the give but don't pledge slice of the pie, those folks are new to the congregation, often new to the congregation since the last pledge campaign. And though you can turn a pledge card in any time throughout the year, most folks turn in their first pledge card when they've been in the congregation long enough that their first pledge campaign rolls around. So that is a sign that we have a growing congregation. The part that continues to concern me is the gray box. Um, these are folks that neither give nor pledge. Now there's a disclaimer on that, which is to say if folks are just dropping some cash in the offering plate, they may be giving. This is folks that we have a record of their giving. So if they put that cash in an envelope with their name on it, or if they write their name on a check, we know that they are a giver. But if you're just dropping cash in the offering plate, we have no way of knowing who's dropping what cash in the offering plate. So there may be some folks in that gray box that are there. The other thing I will say is while the stewardship committee did do really good work, the other thing that may be contributing to that, um, that closing the gap, the Pac-Man closing his mouth, is that our um, tracking software from Church Community Builder, the, what we use as an online directory software, has helped us get a lot better at tracking 
who is just a one-time visitor and who has some regular participation in the congregation. That's helped us make strategic invites to our, um, our newcomers classes. We have the biggest newcomers class since I've been here going this fall. We've got 25 people uh, meeting, which is fantastic. Uh, so it's helped that, but it's also helped us figure out uh, how many total households we're working with. And so right now we think we have 175 potential giving households for 2019 um, based on the 2018 numbers. So that may be a little bit better of a total household number than what we were working with. So we may be partly closing the gap that way. You want to say anything about that? Um, so this gives you a sense of how pledging is distributed at Holy Communion. So just as we saw before, between those who give but don't pledge and those who do not give or pledge, we have 34% of folks in the congregation right now by 175 households are pledging $0. Uh, if you don't turn in a pledge card, effectively you have pledged $0. 42 of our households, the largest single number, are pledging between $1 and $999. Uh, 41 of the households are pledging between $1,000 and $2,500, $2,499. Uh, then 10 households pledge between $2,500 and $3,999. 18 households pledge between 4,000 and 7,999, and there are five households pledging between 8,000 and $15,000. There's a couple things to notice about that. One, um, we're in a really healthy place as far as congregations go. Uh, there are a number of congregations, Episcopal congregations out there, that are worried about finances partly because they may have one or two pledgers that are pledging a huge amount of the budget. No single pledger is pledging even one, or is even pledging 5% of our budget. Um, that's not true in a lot of Episcopal churches. In some Episcopal churches, a funeral can mean you lose 20% of your budget for the next year. And so we're actually in a really healthy place where giving is distributed. We also are a much more economically diverse Episcopal congregation than many congregations, um, which means that we have a pretty wide spread as to what giving is. And just because somebody is in the one to 999 category doesn't mean they're not being incredibly generous. We know that we have people that are giving sacrificially, as, as Donna likes to say, give so you feel it. Um, we have folks that are giving and they feel it at all levels of um, donating. And so we partly put this out there to show you that we've got a wide, beautiful diversity of folks that are able to give and that making a pledge is accessible to everybody. Anything about that? Yeah, I think it's also just important to remember that every piece is important. It adds to what we can do for the future year. So um, some of the incremental changes for future budget might be just a small additional contribution. So expanding that green section would really make it difficult. So just trying to get more people from the blue into the green, but turn the corner for next year. So one last word about annual versus capital giving. Um, this is excerpted from your letter, but a couple of things to say about it. Annual giving is the bread and butter of the church. It's, it's how we pay the day-to-day -day operations. It's how we um, are able to make donations to Christmas Hall in El Salvador. It's how we're able to pay our diocesan assessment and make sure churches stay open in places like Sykeston and Pacific, Missouri, and that good programs like the Deaconess Anne House have funding. 
The annual pledge is how we keep going year to year. Um, and so we ask that that is the primary place of giving. A lot of people across the history of the church have had a practice of giving a portion of their income, a fixed percent, the tithe, 10%. Um, some people give 10% directly to the church. Others practice what is called the modern tithe. They give away 10% of their income, and hopefully Holy Communion is valuable to you, and a big portion of that is to the church. But they may be tithing um, uh, just 10% back to nonprofits and to good work. That's what Ellis and I practice. We give 10% of our income. The biggest single place is Holy Communion, but we also give money directly to Christosol and to my seminary and to Wash U, because Ellis graduated from there, and things like that. So everybody, we are encouraging folks to have a practice of giving, and we hope that the annual campaign is your primary place of giving for Holy Communion. The capital campaign represents a different kind of giving. Uh, it's a sort of generational kind of gift. It's the kind of gift that uh, you give out of big thanksgiving, and it's above and beyond what comes from annual giving. It's an investment in this place, in the facility, uh, in the organ that hopefully folks will be hearing for the next 30, 40 years, in the um, accessible restrooms that make this place, you know, the vestry is going to come up with the final list of what the projects are going to be and decide if we're going forward in the capital campaign today. Um, but whatever that list is, it will be the kind of stuff that lasts for a generation at the church. And so that's the kind of giving we encourage is generational, exceptional giving in a capital campaign. I'm going to ask Donna to come up and talk a little bit about um, her decisions around stewardship at Holy Communion. <laughs> Good morning. My name is Donna, and I'm a recovering Catholic. Hi, Donna. More about that in a minute. I have a daughter who's going to turn 18 in a couple of weeks, and I asked her what I should, told her I was going to be speaking, and asked her what she thought I should say. And she said, well, tell them how much you love Holy Communion and how special the people are and why you joined. And that's pretty much what I was planning to say. I'm not really... The best person, it's, it's kind of ironic I'm on this, that I'm a stewardship chair because um, my idea of selling Girl Scout cookies, my sales pitch was kind of like, you don't want any Girl Scout cookies, do you? <laughs> Asking people for money is not something that, that I enjoy or that comes easy. So I'm not going to ask you for anything or tell you why you should give or what you should. I'm just going to tell you what I do. And if anything that I say resonates, then that's great. If not, I hope you enjoy some of my stories. So back to the covering Catholic part. When I was a little girl, I loved the, the prayers and the ritual and the pomp and the circumstance. But as I got older, I had a lot of trouble with a lot of the parts of the Catholic Church that didn't really resonate with me and my values and my worldview. And after college, I just stopped going, except with my parents on holidays, until I decided to become a mom. And I knew it was important to me that I raise my children in a church. Problem was, I didn't know what church or how to find one. So I thought, well, I'll just go and visit different churches, and hopefully I'll find one. Um, and I had some criteria in mind. As I say this, this was my criteria, and I think some of you will recognize some of these words. Um, I wanted a place that was welcoming, that I felt comfortable at. I, it had to be a place that was diverse. 
And it was important to me that a church put its money where its mouth is, that they were out there working in the community and providing service to others. Recognize those words? Welcoming, diversity, community? Well, that's what I wanted a little over 20 years ago. And I knew a little bit about the Episcopal Church because my sister and brother-in-law had gotten married in one. And I, I didn't realize until then that the service was really, really alike the Catholic service. Except that it didn't have, well, my brother-in-law calls the Episcopal Church um, Catholic light. And I like to say it's Catholicism without the BS. So I feel, I feel comfortable with the worship. And, and then the other part is, is just, it resonates with me. So I was having dinner with a friend of mine at the Galleria, and I said I, I wanted to find a church because I was going to be a mom, and I would like to find, I lived in New City at the time, and I said, I'd really like to find an Episcopal church in New City. I'm not sure why I had lived here that many years and wasn't aware that this church was here, but, but I wasn't. And so about 10 minutes later, after I said that to my friend, we were in the movie theater at the Galleria, because we were having dinner in a movie, and we went in, and they used to have a slideshow of advertisements. And this advertisement came up for Holy, uh, Holy Communion Episcopal Church in New City. Ten minutes earlier, I had just said, what I'd really like to do is find an Episcopal church in New City. And then there's this Episcopal church in New City. So sometimes God has to kind of take <laughs> a big hammer to get my attention, but, but I do get it eventually. So I thought, okay, well, I could take a hint. The next day was Palm Sunday. And I came to the church, and I've been here ever since. Apparently, I'm, that was the only time the church ever placed an ad like that, and I'm the only person that ever came because of it. So, but I'm really glad <laughs> that they placed that ad, and I'm really happy to be here. Um, so that's my story about how I got here and why I joined. Um, this has been a very special place to me, and I must admit, Mike said, I heard him say a few minutes ago, that most people who join um, don't pledge, they, they pledge the next year when the pledge campaign. Well, it, it took me, I think, several years before I pledged. I was a single mom. Um, I was a little bit worried about pledging a specific amount. I, what if something came up with my kids? I didn't have family in town. Um, so it took me a while. Um, but one of the the things that had a really important, and I guess it, it sounds kind of funny, but it's the honest to God truth. The, the theme of our, our stewardship campaign the last couple of years, we say that in church, well, at least in the 8 o'clock church, we've been saying it all the time. We didn't used to say it in the 1030. Um, but all things come of God and of thine own have we given thee. And I would hear that and I, I started thinking, you know, that's really true. That every, I, I've been blessed, and everything I, if everything I have comes from God, and what I give back, I'm giving back to God, then I, I really need to put my money where my mouth is. And that's why I started pledging. And I think that it has made me, it's done a lot of things for me, uh, um, pledging, which I guess maybe sounds kind of funny, but it's helped my faith. I mean, well, I was coming from a place of fear, um, well, what if I, if I don't have enough? What if come the end of the year, um, I can't give what I had said? Which would be fine, by the way, if that happened. Nobody's going to 
come and say, no, you said this much, you have to give that much. But it, it's helped my faith to grow. It's helped, my, um, it's helped me feel a part of things, a part of what this church is and what we do, um, which is one of our other themes about giving fe- gener- fearless generosity. Is that what it is, Mike? Fearless generosity. This place, I have no family in town, and so being a single parent was sometimes overwhelming. Um, my girls in the 8 o'clock service had a whole bunch of grandmas, and, um, and I had a whole bunch of friends. And I, I don't know that I could have, there were hard times raising my girls there, 20 and almost 18 now. Um, I'm not sure I could have made it without the support of the people in this, in this church. And, and I think these days... I don't know about you, but the last couple of years, I have been distressed at some of the things I have seen going on in our country. And sometimes it seems like overwhelming that there's so many things that, that are upsetting to me and that I don't agree with, and, and, and not just political stuff, but just the lack of common decency and compassion and, and civility towards people. And we at Holy Communion, in my opinion, are like the polar opposite of that. And I feel like being part of this is, my, is, is one way, not the only way, but one way that I can work I don't want to say against that, but to bring back some of those values that are important to me and, and I think are important to you. Um, money is energy, and I think once you pledge, for me, like I said, I feel a part of it. I feel like my, my energy is in it. Um, and that we can, we can change the world. Um, we have to, in my opinion, we have to change the world. So that's my story. And I, like I said, I, I'm not in a position to tell anybody what to do or suggest anything, but hopefully if I've said anything that resonates with you, it'll be helpful. And thank you so much. That theme of fearless generosity, Donna checked it with me, but it was her words that came... I, she did a lot of research on um, different campaigns around the country. And something about that idea of fearless generosity really resonated. In your bulletin today and in the email that went out this week, you saw the first of a set of meditations that are going to be written by the Stewardship Committee. We'll be sending them once a week about the various themes. But fearless generosity really is a part of the reason why we have an annual campaign. We think that generosity is an important spiritual practice. Yes, it's important to give money to the church. We do hope that you value what Holy Communion does. Uh, We do hope that you want to invest in this place and in its work. But whether your biggest gift comes here or you have other priorities, we really want you to practice fearless generosity. Uh, My old boss, the Reverend Luis Leon, used to say, uh, money is a very powerful tool. If you can give away some of your money, you have power over that tool. If you can't give away some of your money, money has power over you. Generosity has the capacity to move us from a place of operating out of scarcity, operating out of fear, to operating out of abundance, operating out of joy. And the book of Genesis is the book at the beginning of the Bible, and it's Pharaoh who first talks about scarcity in the economy. 
Pharaoh looks around and he says, there's not enough stuff. Let's get it all and put it in storehouses. And Joseph, I'm going to put you in charge of it. And Pharaoh gets all this stuff and puts it on, in storehouses and suddenly there's a famine in the land. wonder what happened there. Earlier in Genesis, at the beginning of the story, the very beginning of creation, God says, it is good. God creates the land, the dome of the sky, the waters under the dome. God creates human beings and plants and animals and God says, it is good, it is good, it is very good. Practicing generosity has the capacity to move us from a fearful place, a place of scarcity like Pharaoh, to a place of abundance, to a place of blessing, that place where we started, according to the Bible. So we hope you will practice fearless generosity this season. There are a set of discussion questions uh, we'd like you to take a look at together and talk about at your tables. If you're at a table with just a couple people, combine your tables if you would. But here are the questions. What is your practice of giving? And who taught you about giving? Did you grow up with a grandmother, a parent, a cousin, an aunt? Who taught you about giving? Uh, thinking back on this year, what is one story that exemplifies Holy Communion for you? It might be something small and silly that happened Sunday morning or Tuesday in the laundromat, or, but is there a story about what this place is about for you? What questions do you have about the financial life of our congregation? And what hopes do you have for our church budget? So talk amongst yourselves. We'll give you about 10, 15 minutes, then we'll come back as a big group.